Good morning. Happy Easter. So glad you decided to join us this morning on this Easter morning. This morning we had a great breakfast together, had a good time, and now we've had a wonderful worship service, and and we want to continue on by, by studying the Word of God together. So why don't you pray with me? God, thanks for this morning. Thanks for this opportunity to be together in your presence. Thank thank you for this chance to celebrate Easter morning and to celebrate the resurrection of your son, Jesus Christ, and for what it means to us. And I pray that you'll speak to us this morning through your word and that you'll open our hearts to respond, God. And, and, And we're asking you to do all this in the precious name of Jesus. Amen. Now, if you look at this picture on the screen here, this is my grandfather. His name is Bob Diedrich. He is a World War II veteran. And he, over the years, told me over a a series of conversations, told me a number of different stories of his time there overseas. I was just going to share one with you this morning. So he said they were actually out on patrol, and uh, this was toward the end of the war. He was fighting in the Battle of the Bulge, and they were walking up an embankment, and they had got to the top of a hill, and they turned around, he and his troop, and they noticed that there was actually an opening in the side of the hill. And they were more than a bit alarmed that they seemed to have walked right over it and not noticed it. And they began to realize that what it was was it was a German pillbox, which was basically a, a kind of an encampment or an encasement inside the hill that would give them the advantage when the enemy approached so they could pick them off as they're coming across the way. And so they were more than a bit alarmed, and so they began to look for the opening to the pillbox. They did finally find it. They opened the door, and what they found inside surprised them, really shocked them. It was very young children with, with uniforms on and, and elderly persons that had been recruited to be a part of the German cause in Hitler's last-ditch effort to repel the Westerners. And, that, and he, he got emotional when telling that story because he and his group got a chance not just to liberate but to rescue people that had been kind of wrongfully conscripted to do this military work that they were not suited for at all. Now, I tell you this story... Because in a very real way, even though I wasn't even born, even though my mother, you know, this is my mom's dad, wasn't even born, this story of my grandfather's is a part of me. Even though I was not yet born, I feel as if this story is a part of my story. And to this day, I feel emotional that a man I knew and loved put himself in harm's way to serve. Now, I'll tell you this, Bob Diedrich was no Rambo, (laughs) but he was a hero. And he played an important part, an important role in a larger story. Today, we're going to talk about another story that is a part of me. As a young child, it was a familiar story. As a teenager, it kind of began to feel like someone else's story. Finally, as a young adult, for the first time, it became my story. We're going to talk about God's story. And now God's story begins in the book of Genesis. He wove a story that eventually culminated in the Easter story. It began with Adam and Eve. What began as a love story between God and man. Everything was perfect. Quickly turned into a tragedy. Everything that man had been gifted with, he threw away when he chose to doubt God's goodness. And yet in the midst of this sadness, we learn quite a bit about the God that we worship. He has a plan to make things right. And this is the kind of trouble we are all very familiar with. There's no quick fix. It will take time to repair what has been damaged. Man's sin has separated him from God. But look at Genesis chapter 3 verse 15 with me. And we'll see that in the midst of tragedy, God had a plan to make things right. 
And I will put enmity between you and the woman, and between your offspring and hers. He will crush your head, and you will strike his heel. Now, what, there's quite a bit of agreement that what this is referring to is actually a time that is coming when the enemy, Satan, would strike Jesus' heel, but Jesus would eventually defeat him and crush his head. So this is a reference to Christ conquering over death on the cross. And so even in the midst of tragedy, when man has broken the relationship, when man has ruined things with his sin, God shows his mercy, and he shows that he himself has a plan to make things right. Because there's no way that man can fix what he's already broken. Now this story was carried on through Abraham and the nation of Israel. And what is so often overlooked when thinking about the special role Israel plays in our past and our future is the fact that the story of the nation of Israel doesn't begin with a group of favored people. That would seem a bit unfair, wouldn't it? It doesn't begin with a group. It begins with God choosing a single man who would become a nation through which he would introduce himself to all nations and all peoples. And when you look at the stories of Scripture, many, many stories when God's going to do something important, when God's going to do something new, he'll choose a single individual through which he's going to do it. Now that's encouraging. So it doesn't start with a nation, it starts with a person who would become a nation through which God would begin to introduce himself to all peoples and all nations. Look at Genesis chapter 12, verses 1 through 3. We're going to read this together. The Lord had said to Abram, Go from your country, your people, and your father's household to the land I will show you. I will make you into a great nation, and I will bless you. I will make your name great, and you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, And whoever curses you, I will curse. And all peoples on earth will be blessed through you. So God is taking a man and he's asking him to leave his home. To leave everything that he knows. To leave everything that is safe and go to wherever I will show you. But what the bigger invitation is, is God is inviting Abraham, who at that point is the main character in his own story. He's inviting Abraham to come play an important part. A crucial role in God's story. So he's inviting him to step out of his small story and join God's big story in an important way. Now the story of the nation of Israel eventually led to the sending of Jesus. Turn to Luke chapter 2 verses 29 through 32. We're going to read together. And this is where Simeon has come into contact with the baby Lord Jesus And he's moved by the Holy Spirit to utter these words. And he says, Sovereign Lord, as you have promised, you may now dismiss your servant in peace. For my eyes have seen your salvation, which you have prepared in the sight of all nations, a light of revelation to the Gentiles, and the glory of your people, Israel. So Jesus did three things in his time here on this earth before the cross. He introduced people to God. He introduced people to God. Let them know what our God is like. Let them know that God is for us, not against us. He demonstrated God's power. Time and again, he performed miracles. He showed that God is able, that God is powerful. And then he offered himself as a sacrifice. So you see God's plan that's been woven through this story to reach the nations would again focus on a single man who is the virgin-born 
Son of God. So the story starts with Adam and Eve. It continues through Abraham, a single man who becomes a nation. And then that story eventually narrows back down to being focused on a single man who was the virgin-born Son of God. Now another, what I think, interesting part of this story is how Jesus submitted himself to the process of growing up. Can you imagine baby Jesus in diapers? Potty training, learning to walk, learning to speak, to read and to write. In fact, he chose to be a student for 30 years and earn the right to speak before he began teaching. Because that's what it took to become a rabbi. You had to spend 30 years in education. You had to excel among your peers and then you'd be chosen to be a rabbi. But at 30, you were just a, a new one. I mean, you were just a newbie at this. You, weren't, you didn't have a tremendous amount of respect. But Jesus submitted himself to the process of growing up so that he could earn the right to speak into his own culture. Then three years later, after he had had much impactful ministry, he willingly submitted himself to the shame and scorn of a cruel Roman cross. And how he faced that dark day continues to be a lesson to us all. Now, after they put him in the tomb, three things were true for his followers, the the guys who'd spent several years with Jesus. Number one is that the presence was gone. The presence was gone. Jesus had been their rock. They had depended on him. They had walked with him. They had eaten with him. They had ministered with him. They They had observed him. But his presence at this point was gone. Number two, the power was gone. The power that they had seen up close and personal. They had seen with their own eyes the power of God. They had seen miracles. They had seen healings. They had seen food be provided. They had seen God do miraculous things through Jesus. But at this point with Jesus dead, the power was gone. And number three, their hope was dead. Their hope was dead. There was nothing left to believe in. Jesus was gone. Jesus was dead. And so the presence was gone. The power was gone. And their hope was dead. But thank God that's not the end of the story. He was killed on a Friday. But Sunday wasn't coming. Turn to John chapter 20 verses 1 through 8. Early on the first day of the week, while it was still dark, Mary Magdalene went to the tomb and saw that the stone had been removed from the entrance. So she came running to Simon Peter and the other disciple, the one Jesus loved, and said, They have taken the Lord out of the tomb, and we don't know where they have put him. So Peter and the other disciple started for the tomb. Both were running, but the other disciple outran Peter and reached the tomb first. He bent over and looked in at the strips of linen lying there, but did not go in. Then Simon Peter came along behind him and went straight into the tomb. He saw the strips of linen lying there, as well as the cloth that had been wrapped around Jesus' head. The cloth was still lying in its place, separate from the linen. Finally, the other disciple, who had reached the tomb first, also went inside. He saw and believed. Now focus in on that. He saw and believed. So the lesson for us in this is that we believe... Because of something that they saw. We believe because of something that they saw and were willing to die rather than deny. So when we think about the resurrection of Jesus, 
we we can tell people that we're we're not just believing in a story. We're not just believing because we need to believe. We're believing in the resurrection of Jesus because of something that they saw, that all 12 of these men saw. And, and they were willing to die rather than to deny it. And not only that, Paul talks about 500 men who also witnessed the resurrection of Jesus. So we're putting our faith not just in a Bible story, we're putting our faith in a historical event that people saw and believed. And so we can have faith and we can have confidence in the resurrection of Jesus. Jesus' resurrection showed that death and sin are defeated. Turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verses 54 through 58, and this will be our final passage for today. When the perishable has been clothed with imperishable, and the mortal with immortality. Then the saying that is written will come true. Death has been swallowed up in victory. Where, O death, is your victory? Where, O death, is your sting? The sting of death is sin, and the power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God, He gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, my dear brothers and sisters, stand firm. Let nothing move you. Always give yourselves fully to the work of the Lord, because you know that your labor in the Lord is not in vain. His resurrection was just the beginning. His resurrection was just the beginning. And because Jesus is alive, number one, the presence is here. When you think about in your life, in my life, in, in our midst today, the presence of Jesus is here. And you know what? I'm glad that God is here with us today in this church, but I don't need Him just here. I need Him in my car. I need Him in my daily life. I need God's presence to be with my kids when they're at school. I need God's presence to be with my wife. You need God's presence to be with you, to be with your family, to be with your loved ones. And we need God's presence to be in our community. We need God's presence to be in our nation. And thank God, because of the resurrection of Jesus Christ, His presence is here. And we've all experienced it. Number two, the power is available. Like we talked about last week. There are so many things that we're tempted to believe that this is just the way it is, that there is nothing that we can do about it. But these, these things that are immovable, these things that are impossible, these things that are unchangeable with the power of God now available, the impossible becomes possible. So the presence is here. The power is available. And our hope is alive. Our hope is alive. And just like for the disciples, that they were so discouraged and, and everything was, was lost. There was no hope. But when Jesus came back, when they saw him, when they touched him, and they believed, then their hope indeed was alive. For this life and beyond this life. So the question for you today is, where does your story intersect with God's story? Where does your story intersect with God's story, because God's got a long story that begins way back before you and I were born, and it's going to continue on way after. So where is your story intersected with God's story? Now something powerful happens when we begin to realize that these stories, the, the stories of the, of, the, of the scriptures, are actually one continuous story, God's story. 
And when you begin to believe, you begin to understand that God's story is actually your story. And it is still being written. His story. Your story. My story. Our story is still being written. Now God's story can be your story. So where are you at today? Where are you at today? Number one, are you lost? Have you not ever come to a point where you've realized and you've believed that God's story is not just a story? It's not just a nice story. It's not just a Bible story, because that's where I was when I was a teenager. You know, I grew up in church. I grew up hearing the scriptures. I grew up hearing about the story. And for a while, I thought it was kind of sort of my story. And then as a teenager, I felt like it was somebody else's story. And as I got a little bit older, I felt like it wasn't even a real story. But then I came to a place when I was in my late teens where I finally realized for the first time that God's story is my story. So are you lost? Number two, are you found? If, if you've believed that God's story is your story, if you've trusted in Christ as your Savior, then you're found and you're, and you're part of the family of God. So are you lost? Are you found? But number three is equally an important question. Even if you are found, are you focused? Are you focused? Are you focused on God's story? In other words, when, when you and I think about our lives, what we're tempted to focus on is to focus on our story and to feel like, you know, as the main character in my story, then, then what's really at stake is things that have to do with me. So we have to be willing to sacrifice being the main character in our story and accept an invitation from God to be a part of his story. So focus on his story. His story. This week, I want you to, to, to do this every day. And I'm going to do it myself. I want you to ask this question every day when you think about it. And say, God, this isn't about my story. This is about your story. This isn't about my story. This is about your story. And so I want you to pray this prayer. I want you to ask every day this week. I want you to say, God, what part can I play in your story? God, in this circumstance, in this situation, in my life today, what part can I play in your story? And if you're willing to ask yourself that question, and if you're willing to pray that prayer, I submit to you that will change everything. You'll stop being focused on you. You'll stop being focused on your problems. You'll stop being so focused on your struggles. If you're focused on God's story and on what part you can play in His story, it will change everything. Now what if each one of us lived our lives each day as if we are part of a bigger, more important story that is still being written? Rather than being the main character in a small story, you and I can be role players in an ancient, global, and eternal story. And this all started with a historical event that you and I can have confidence in. We can believe because of something they saw, and we're willing to die rather than deny. Will you pray with me? God, thank you so much for this day. 
this opportunity to be together and to hear your word preached, God. And we do accept that, that your story is what matters. And God, I pray that we'll be willing to set aside being the main character in our own small stories and that we would daily ask you and beg you and, and seek you and say, God, what part can I play in your story today? And if there are people here this morning, God, that would say, that, you know what, I, I'm not really sure what's going on. I think I'm lost. I, I don't know that my story's yet intersected with God's story. I pray that you would move them through your spirit to come forward today and make that decision and accept the free gift of salvation and be baptized today. If, if they say they're found, God, then I would pray that if you would move them to be focused, to be focused on your story, to be focused on what you're doing in the world, to be focused on the problems that you want to, uh, that you want to address, to be focused on the situations that you want to be invited into and make a difference. And I pray that, that we would all be willing, God, to be focused on your story to the extent that we would pray, God, what part can I play in your story? And God, I pray you would move in our hearts and move each person in this audience today to respond in whatever way you've designed for them to do today. It's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen.